Hey everyone, episode 48 of the Wake Up Podcast. I've got Stephen Barber joining me. Um, he's the founder and CEO over at Upstream Data. He's been on a few podcasts recently actually. So I decided to snag him and get him on mine so that we could talk about mining, yes. Um, so we could talk about oil and gas, yes. But we kind of, you know, as you would know with my podcast, we kind of went into some deeper and more broad topics. And one of the interesting ones uh, we had today, which might be an unpopular opinion with some, but we talked about uh, Rockefeller um, and how Rockefeller's, I guess, early genius transformed the world and unlocked energy or, you know, transformed the world through the capacity to systematize and or systematize, I guess, the transmission of energy. So the, the unlocking and the transmission of raw energy in the form of oil around the world and how that created the absolute largest uh, fortune in the history of mankind. Um, and then, you know, drawing some analogies to how Bitcoin is a mechanism for unlocking the next uh, fundamental transformation in the transmission of energy and also time. So some deep metaphysical stuff here. Um, we talk about some also then some more practical stuff about what people can do as a general pleb to mine. It doesn't make sense to mine, does it not make sense to mine, how, how you should approach it, etc. So a bunch of things in this episode. Um, Steve's a fucking brilliant guy, um, engineer, and you know, you, 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 you'll get the sense uh, when you jump on this podcast and have a listen. And you'll really start to appreciate, like, Bitcoin has come from all walks of life, and we think about things differently. So really enjoy this chat, and I hope you do too, and I'll see you guys on the next episode. And we're live with episode 48 of the Wake Up Podcast. And this time, I've got Steve Barber with me. He's the founder and CEO at Upstream. Um, or upstream is it upstream data? Help brother. Yeah, ups, upstream data. Yep. Okay. I don't you even know. If me... it's, I don't even know if it's data or data. I just go data. With yeah. Okay. Whatever. I've started. I've started saying data since I've been in America because I'm trying to like you know, you you know when you're like in a new place and you kind of absorb the accent a little bit. Oh um, yeah, I'm from Newfoundland, man. I I should have a thick Newfie accent, but I I've lost it. So yeah, interesting. Yeah, for being so, surrounded I mean, by normal people <laughs> yeah well no one no one ever picks that i'm from australia they're like oh your accent's kind of like british it's kind of like this it's that it's like yeah well that's uh that's what happens when you don't live in the place um i actually hate the fucking aussie accent but that's a that's another story um so to kick this off you were telling me before we got started that um apart from what you're doing at upstream you're also a stripper in your part-time is that right yeah, I, I do. Uh, I do shows for. Uh, I, I still the need. Fiat earn, I need to. I need to earn some Fiat money in my spare time. So I'm still stripping <laughs> at birthday parties and and uh, and the like, bachelorette parties. Oh, know, God help us! Any any way to stack some sats, man. Absolutely. Exactly. Mm. But look, in in all seriousness, I was just I was curious because I've I mean I've heard you on like one or two podcasts, but I'm I'm curious what you were doing before upstream and how you sort of wound up you know doing something which is i mean most people would consider quite niche um yeah kind of curious to know what what led to that in the first place 
Yeah, I mean, it was certainly quite niche when I started. It's actually exploding. Like the industry, mm. it's almost like, I feel like it's what everyone in the mining industry is starting to talk about now. So that's mm-hmm. almost five years later. So it's pretty amazing to see uh, just the change over that time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, what I was doing uh, before, like I got into Bitcoin in 2016. So like even then, I mean, I immediately sort of saw probably like you did, okay, this thing is really weird and unique. Like I got to learn more about it. Right. And it, but it, you know, it took me a while to really, I honestly sort of became a Bitcoin maxi almost immediately though. Like it, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm always been, uh, not a fan of just some of the stuff that's going on out there in the world, like the corruption that you see. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I saw all these, like, cause I got in there in 2016, just before, uh, Ethereum started pumping. And as soon as mm-hmm. that did, I was like, oh, what's Ethereum? Like, is this a new cool coin? And I started looking into it. It was like, my God, like this is just, this is just nonsense, right? So uh, I've been really into Bitcoin since. And I got, I mean, it was just sort of weird. I just sort of, I don't even know how I got into Bitcoin originally. I had downtime. Like I was, I had quit my job and I was, I was starting an oil uh, service business. I was actually just going to, my, my whole career plan was to, look at what people are selling, like good products in the oil field, uh, find what is selling and what's making money, make it a little bit better, patent it, license the patent to the person who's selling it, get a little bit of passive income and just move on. That was like my career. That was literally what I was going to do in my life. And I actually started doing that. And I got, I think two, well, I have two patents licensed uh, for oil field tools. And I just have like a small, it's not a lot of money, but it's like a small, like honestly like i think it's just the best thing like for engineers or people that like designing things like it's an amazing amazing thing because it's once you get it done you have to take a bunch of risk but once you get it done and you successfully license it you just have uh, passive income for like as long as you you know as long as it sells right Mm -hmm. so uh that was my career path and then i got into bitcoin and i was like well i mean the reason actually why i got so driven into bitcoin was because i immediately just saw the potential for oil field so oil field mining and uh then then i learned what how amazing bitcoin was first it was just like oh i can make money doing this in oil field maybe and make a product and and then the more you know like yourself i'm sure the more you dug into bitcoin you're like oh my god this thing is yeah the more you realize change yeah. change the world right so 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 okay so does that mean you were sort of in oil and gas beforehand right like that was yeah. your thing yeah i'm an oil and gas maxi before bitcoin okay. maxi yeah. yeah cool 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 um and how how long was sort of that foray uh or that chapter of your life i guess uh not that well, it's ended but no it's not ended I, i'm hoping to have a full career there uh even if like uh, one day i stopped doing the bitcoin mining thing which i hopefully won't but um that started in uh 2008 for me uh that's when okay. i was a student at an oil company yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I, and i just think the industry is amazing like it's uh it's a yeah it's like for people that never worked in it like they might have a certain image of it but like it's one of the most innovative like amazing industries out there and i mean it's it fuels everything in the world so obviously it's it's important yeah it's it's i mean it's very rare these days to find someone who i mean particularly our generation so if you're still a student in 2008 so was i so i'm guessing what you're like sort of early mid-30s roughly yeah, 34. Yeah, okay, fuck, okay, we're, we're the same age then, so I'm 34 next month, so, um, you know, kind of growing up in sort of our age, and I don't know what it was like in Canada, but like in Australia, you know, I, I went into civil engineering at university, and I was literally surrounded by, you know, 
fucking people who were already being infected with the, you know, the, the green thing. And, you know, you wouldn't have met anyone there who was really interested in being, you know, involved in kind of like yeah. oil and gas. Like it was, you know, civil or environmental or electrical, um, yeah. a little bit of mechanical engineering. Um, there was mechatronics, which was sort of growing at the time, but, you know, nothing in terms of like resources, natural resources and shit. So what, what, what was kind of the early seeds for you that helped you view the world differently and go down that path? Well, uh, when I was in school, like, so I was, I was in university from uh, 2006 to 2011. And that's when I was studying mechanical. And uh, that's when I sort of decided oil and gas, uh, mainly because Canada had a lot of opportunity for oil and gas. So I knew that I could probably land a job. But I was also interested in other things, like maybe automotive, like uh, design, you know, all kinds of things you can do. Um, I don't remember, actually, like even in, I don't remember in university ever seeing like any level of what we see today against like anti-fossil fuel stuff. Mm, mm, mm. Maybe that's because I was in a university who serviced uh, the offshore fossil fuel industry, offshore, offshore Canada. That's possible. I, maybe mm-hmm. it's maybe it just wasn't as big a thing and it was just starting to really uh, become a big political thing, but I don't yeah, remember, yeah. I don't remember that. So like, I don't ever remember feeling, uh, Oh, like, am I, you know, doing a job that's bad for the environment or stuff? Yeah. Okay. But the way I look at it nowadays, honestly, like I think, I think oil and gas producers, uh, uh there, there's nothing, they're not doing anything, uh, against the best interest of the environment. In fact, quite the opposite. I mean, they're doing exactly what we need to do to protect humanity from the environment and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I look at it completely different now. Uh, Bitcoin and people in the Bitcoin space and the educators out there, like the, the you know, the sound money economist types, the safe deans of the world. Uh, like more recently, I had only just recently discovered like Alex Epstein who's a big advocate for fossil fuels. And like he's, mm-hmm. his points of view have influenced me a lot recently, but even before him, I was right on the same path as him with uh, my view on this industry. And I'm just relentless. Uh, I'm relentless online with uh, just not, um, uh, just not, I don't know, not complying or not, not buying into the bullshit rhetoric around the carbon stuff as it relates to oil and gas so yeah. that's a whole I, deep rabbit I, hole but. I, I want to dig into that rabbit hole during this convo but but before we sort of before we land there i guess i 100 concur in terms of what you said like the 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 position the the rhetoric the the messaging back in 2008 uh was definitely not as strong as it is now like fucking the world's completely lost its mind and and i mean you know, the Corona scam and all the other shit aside, like genuinely these days, like to, to, to think that someone coming through university is going to say, um, I'm going to look for a career in oil and gas. Like they would probably get fucking, you know, thrown yeah. out of school almost. It's like, that's sad. Up. It's sad actually, because uh, like kids are being taught that like, like coal and oil and gas are like, you know stone evil age, or like something going yeah. The, yeah evil going the way of the dinosaur uh there's no future in it it's just like there's just your people will realize here in the next couple of years when the oil price hits 200 dollars, where that's where it's going mm-hmm. that oil is not going anywhere for quite a long time yep 
Yeah. Uh, no, no fossil fuels are. I mean, it's it's just the raw. People don't even the people that speak against it so often and want to ban it and want to ban engines and stuff. They don't even they don't even they don't ever even talk about like the fact that crude oil and coal are used as raw materials in basically everything. Everything, literally yeah. everything so it, it's just a it's unbelievable to me that in both like academia and at the political stage places where you know we you'd expect there to be regional discourse and expert like true experts would be able to say these things and not be shamed into submission right like not be like it's just unbelievable um that we're, we're talking about replacing even coal in north america like it's just not it's really just not feasible because you end up just displacing it to other countries and uh it's just uh the everything about it is just insanity but i mean that's that's the world we live in now we live in the upside down world where uh, money is unsound and reason doesn't exist and everything is left is right and up is down it's just you know we just live in a in the clown world like backwards backwards world. We, we really do man we really do like we, uh, you know i think many of these idiots and, and and this is this is one of the things i struggle with like you know you've got the ayn randian um idea of like stop the engine of the world walk away and let these idiots actually see you know, the, the, um, the consequences of their actions and the consequences of their belief, right, is you, you let the fuckers um, starve, you let them freeze, you let them, you know, have no plastic containers, no refrigerators, you know, no transport, no nothing, um, and see, you know, how they feel. But, but you know, to do that, like, um, you know, it would require us, like, to effectively abandon the world. So it's, it's almost like, you know, we're, we're the ones whether it's Bitcoiners, whether it's people in the oil and gas industry, you know, in the energy industries and all this sort of stuff that are literally holding everything together and literally sheltering these people, literally giving them the, the so-called creature comforts and, you know, things that they depend on to exist and survive. And they're kind of like throwing stones and shit and sticks and everything at us. It's, it's the yeah. injustice fucking drives me crazy. Like it genuinely fucking infuriates the hell out of me. Oh, it, yeah, me too. Uh, it's like that meme where that soldier stands over the bed and takes all yes. the knives and, and the gunfire and like the sound sleeping babies out there keep whining about how hard life is, right? But like, uh, yeah, I mean, the oil, the oil industry it has been demonized for quite a long time now. And the Canadian, like, you know, being in Canada, uh, the Canadian oil industry as well, like we, we've been, they've suppressed our oil. Like we can't get it to market. They, like they call our oil dirty. They call it tar sands. You know, they, they've made these like memes around our oil as being like the worst when in fact it's like we, we hold the highest regulated uh, regulatory standards pretty much in the world. Uh, we have like the high, the highest uh, call it uh safety uh compliance rules and environmental uh rules and, and there are pockets of the industry where it's not exactly the case but uh and then meanwhile so like just just one you know anecdotal example but like uh, canada you know we're importing oil on the east coast of the country from the u.s uh and from saudi uh, arabia and like uh 
and we're doing ridiculous things because they won't let us build pipelines where we're shipping oil like from one coast to get it over to the other coast like going around uh around the continent and it's just madness what's happening and uh yeah everyone's getting demonized people are being put out of work i mean what i start Oh, I'll just make one little, one last point on this. Uh, when I started working in 2011, yeah, go, 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 go. Yeah, when I started working in 2011, uh, oil was booming, uh, and I made a lot, a lot of friends. Uh, I, I moved to a place where I didn't know anyone, so I made, I really grew a new friend base. And now I look back, and almost like I would have to guess around 80% of the people I worked with and uh, made friends with are gone. They're out of the industry. Uh, and it really comes down to politics, like politics destroyed the Canadian oil and gas industry, uh, the liberal politics that came in. And uh, it's sad because most of those people like, you know, they, they went somewhere else. They did fine. But there's a lot of people up here in Alberta, Saskatchewan, that aren't doing fine after this downturn over the last like half decade. And a lot of them had turned to drugs and alcohol and uh, a lot of them entered depression you know, there's some percentage of the hundreds of thousands of people in this workforce that are no longer with us. Like, and they went through a really rough patch and their families were broken up. And like, there's a lot of human elements to this. And that's why it is never portrayed in any media uh, about the, about what happens when you have politics effectively, effectively uh, make these shifts in, you know, what's hot in the market, like the shift away from fossil fuels and subsidizing everything else so it's uh that's the unfortunate part that's the part that people don't generally hear they don't hear about right so it's stuff that i as a person in the oil patch and other people in the oil industry we feel that we see it so it, it, it shapes the way we view it view everything so we don't really buy into a lot of the stuff like you know unfortunately the kids in school are being taught now yeah, I mean, I, I, I can agree with that. I mean, I, I always have very little remorse about, you know, people who go into alcoholism and drugs and depression and everything, because at the end of the day, like, that's a, that's an individual choice anyway. And, you know, the, the difference is not what happened. The difference is what you do with it. You know, clearly you just mentioned some people went and did okay, but some people chose to, you know, be a victim and fucking go down, go down the toilet. So, you know, that, that, may have just been a matter you know government stupidity you know may have just been a catalyst and you know unfortunately you know that catalyst existing is unjust but i don't know how much remorse i have for people um who do end up taking the path of a victim but that that's another another discussion what what i what i wanted to ask on a, on a practical basis was um what what's the because i always hear and, and and i don't know the answer to this is like what is the pushback against um, pipelines that I always hear? Like from all the time, whenever I hear about fucking oil shit, there's always something wrong with, you know, a pipeline being run. What, what's the issue with that? Cause I can't think of a better way to fucking move things around, particularly oil. Well, it's not uh, the politics around pipelines have nothing to do with like technical or engineering reasons. Like it's mm-hmm. not, we're not, we're not like say blockading pipelines, say in this country, because it's bad for the environment like and that's that's the rhetoric but that's not their actual case pipelines there's nothing better for the environment than pipelines are the most efficient way Mm -hmm, to move mm -hmm. this liquid right train so so there's 
I can only speculate, right? Like I can't tell you what the answer is, but it's a political reason. It's not, it's not technical because any engineer would build a pipeline uh, in 99% of cases. There's, you know, rail is a big thing, right? So there's, there's speculation that the people that own the rail, like the Warren Buffets of the world, uh, lobby against pipelines uh, in Canada. They want to keep our oil isolated up here for, and this is again, just talking Canada specific, <laughs> but like, all the pipeline blockades say relating to Canada, it's all about, they don't want our oil on the market. And it probably has something to do with Canadian oil is enormous. Like people have no idea how enormous the reserves are up here. Like it's absolutely like, we're one of the, I think they're, we're in the top three in the world in reserves and it's extremely wow. easy, easy to access. And we have no one to sell it to aside from the U S so <laughs> Okay, so we can't ship it offshore, uh, or at least any project we try to go to the east or west coast to ship it gets blockaded. And you have to think, well, um, who stands to lose if Canadian oil floods the market? Uh, well, number one would probably be the US, like they would lose mm -hmm. big time. So there are financial interests at play that are blockading these things. And uh, so <laughs> it's such a joke up here that we actually sell our oil down from Alberta to the US, who then sells it back to us on the East Coast. They just pipe it over, to then sell it back to us, and they make a huge markup. So they buy it at a discount, sell it at a premium to our own country. Like that's how much of a joke like Canadian sovereignty is. Like we have no sovereignty. We're actually a puppet nation. That's what people don't yeah. really get. So it's it that pipelines is there's the only reason you wouldn't build a pipeline is if uh, you had a cheaper alternative like rail. And mm. in some cases that's true, but uh, in most cases it's not. Interesting because it, it reminds me if you ever read the, um, the Rockefeller uh, biography or anything or any uh, sort of study on I've been, standard oil. Uh, I have, uh, I've done a lot of just random online reading about him and the standard oil. And I did read, uh, read some Mises.org pieces on it about Rockefeller okay. and, and how he was a true innovator and that kind of thing. Yeah. So I, I just finished his book recently and um, well, his book, his biography, and it was, it was very, very well written. It was written in the nineties, I think. Um, so, you know, a little bit before, you know, the, the, the major rise of social justice warriorness. So, so it had a little bit of a tinge of that, but, you know, you really saw how much of a genius he was, but he was also, I think, you know, definitely obviously a flawed character in his, in his idea that, you know, he, he, he pushed this idea of cooperation, not competition, uh, which I think was completely moronic. Um, you know, his idea of like, you know, we shouldn't have competition because competition creates mess in the marketplace. And, and in a sense, on a short time frame, you know, he was right because there was a lot of, you know, boom bust cycles happened so regularly in the early days of oil that, you know, it was very difficult uh, to run a business. So, you know, he helped standardize a lot of it. But I think the longer term detriment was that um, was that you know it it created you know some some power centers. But what was interesting, so, so I want to go on two tangents here about this is the real Rockefeller monopoly or the real Standard Oil monopoly, despite the consolidation that he had in the early days pre uh, the regulatory shit, only really occurred after the government gained enough power such that Standard Oil could lobby the government for particular things. Um, mm -hmm. And then 
when the government in their stupid attempt with fucking, I think it was, uh, pretty sure it was Roosevelt who tried to, you know, break the trusts. Um, he actually created something so much larger than what he, um, you know, what he was able to, you know, what, what the intent was to destroy. So it's like the government in their typical incompetence um, actually first enabled the monopoly and then second uh, made the monopoly even stronger and then sort of tied those two things together and created these so-called uh, special interest groups. But sort of in the early days, there was, um, you know, Rockefeller as an innovator himself was fucking incredible. But um, I don't know if you've got any comments on that, but then I was going to also uh, mention an anecdote about pipe, the first pipeline that was ever built. But do, do you have any thoughts on that really briefly or? Uh, well, when you say uh, the first thing you started with was competition and cooperation, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly what you meant by him promoting cooperation. It sounds like almost like cartelization and like price fixing. It's, he called it cooperation, but yeah, it was yeah. cartelization basically. Yeah. So I certainly agree with you there. Like competition, like free market competition is, uh, is the way to be. But um, that being said, I don't think competition and cooperation are, are entirely exclusive. Uh, just for example, like in our business, like Bitcoin mining, right? Like it's, it's an uphill battle, uh, in Bitcoin to get adoption and mm -hmm. Bitcoin mining say in our business, like adoption, in the oil field is also was, is still, and it certainly was immensely an uphill battle. Like when I was one of the only people out there, there's a few other pockets of individuals out there, but like when I was, uh, when I started pushing it, um, it was a very difficult um, but what I found is, uh, like, I've actually done a lot of cooperating with my own competition over the years. And that's actually been paying massive dividends because, uh, A, they're adding credibility to the space and helping us. And, and B, they're referring to us and we're referring to them. And it's just sort of a synergistic. It's almost like I, I find the Bitcoiners, like at least true Bitcoiners, we all have like a mentality that we're all in it together. Yep, and yep, uh, yep. So that so that's one thing I just want to comment on competition versus cooperation. I think I think there's elements of both. Um, as for the rest of Rockefeller, I don't know his uh, entire. Uh, I didn't read the biography, um, but it's certainly I can agree with you that regulation, government, government, and re increased regulation just bottle creates more bloat and bottlenecks, more opportunity for corruption. It does it does the exact thing it intends to fix to it, to stop. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the, the that's the irony of uh, of regulation. Like the SEC, uh, who's that guy in the news recently? The head of the SEC talking about uh, regulating. Yeah, Gensler or something. His name. Gensler. Yeah, he's talking about how cryptocurrency needs to be regulated. It's like, dude, you're you're an imbecile. Like, it's been a free market. It's grown a massive adoption. It's made countless people like free of financial uh, suppression oppression. Mm -hmm. uh, no, it doesn't need that. Like, yes, people are getting scammed. I know some people that got scammed fucking like insane amount of money. Like I couldn't believe it, like how much money they lost in Ethereum and hacks and, but they're still doing great. They, uh, they, they bought back in, they're still killing it. And, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like, I don't think there's a lot of victims out there. Uh, Dude, it's, it's, we, we literally built this whole fucking thing. We did it all without them. We didn't want them involved. And now they're coming to the rescue to help people. It's like, fuck it's off, a, you loser. I've been getting on that on Twitter lately. It's a protection racket. We, you need it's to exactly be protected. You need to be protected from this boogeyman. And here we are to protect you. 
with these regulations that are going to effectively fuck you up in the long term. Yeah. But yeah. like, that's what, that's what the Fiat maxis uh, out there are uh, pushing for. And the, and the Fiat maxis amongst the Bitcoiners, which there are many of, uh, many of them just don't yeah. know it. Uh, they're, they're like, Oh yeah, we need to fight this regulation. We need like, like, yeah, uh, it's the regulation is coming. That is what, that is what um, Fiat maxis do. They come to regulate and to, tax and take their their cut and uh i find it funny that people are surprised by this like it's it's only just beginning like it's gonna mm-hmm. get it's gonna get really uh i think it's gonna get really bad but i i don't know i'm i'm also like very conservative and uh always think i'm always trying to think like worst case and yeah. position ourselves for that and then if it doesn't happen well we're good yeah well that's because you're an engineer man you know you understand factor of safety uh most people fucking yeah you know what that. that's probably is what it is like it's probably yeah. i have a mentality of designing for the worst case mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. if it doesn't happen we're good that's why yeah. i'm such a bear on bitcoin all the time i'm like oh you know the price is probably you know because i'm planning for the worst case like the price staying down yeah. you know not pumping like everyone thinks but then when it pumps like mm-hmm. oh I'm, I'm great like because i've i've planned yeah, yeah so no the um one of the things as i was reading the rockefeller book like well i mean i already booked it and, and it was just funny because even the you know the biographers and you know all this stuff they didn't make the connection throughout the book you know they kind of framed standard oil as this um as this you know emergent leviathan who you know whose aim it was to to create uh you know this monopoly for the purpose of like sort of owning the thing and and whilst that may have been true um you know you know to, to a degree they may have been the architect of it but the actual um the the what actually enabled them to become a monopoly was like you just look at the timeline and the, the points at which standard oil actually transformed into a functional monopoly like into a legal monopoly was the point at which congress then the government got involved like before that what what uh what was happening was more of a consolidation and an attempt attempt to cartelize the market in a market situation which was actually it succeeded for a bit but it was starting to fail and all the regulatory crap came in just as um, Texas uh, got independence and they found their own oil and actually competition entered the market that Rockefeller and gang couldn't actually compete with and couldn't cartelize, which had Congress and government stayed the fuck out, they would have com- out-competed um, you know, Rockefeller and stuff. So the only reason they managed to get um, a monopoly, a, a capitalist type monopoly was because ev- all of the resources were um, sent around Pennsylvania at the time. So anyway, I, I recommend everyone go and read that book because they'll, they'll sort of start to really learn about, you know, how in capitalism things sort of ebb and flow, but they, they find their own natural corrective mechanism and, you know, things will find a natural equilibrium. You cannot, you, there is no such thing as any organization being able to run everything all the time because, you know, you need to be nimble. Like competition is the, the ultimate equalizer. Um, but another another thread that I want to pull on there um, is while I was reading that, it also dawned on me like Rockefeller was genuinely, genuinely the richest motherfucker who ever lived. Like, yeah, genuine. Like, yeah, p- people think like Bill Gates has money and like you know Zuckerberg and all that shit. Those motherfuckers have fiat 
card bucks that have been, you know, extra printed particularly in the last few years. Like value for value speaking, Rockefeller outpaced those fuckers 10 to one at least. I don't think they're giving any, any, I don't think anyone has come close to produce, to have produced the most value for humanity than that, that man and his enterprises. Cause he, he basically created, if I understand correctly, the entire petrochemical space, which is enormous. Like the entire textiles industry is derived from that. It's not just the fuel and the gasoline, like it's everything else, all the derivatives. And there's literally countless, countless products that came from the, the, his enterprises. Well, see what I saw and, there. And meanwhile, we got, we got Elon Musk with like an EV and some solar panels. And he's being, he's being uh, paraded around like some godlike innovator. He literally has done very little uh, at all, actually, in terms of total productivity to humanity. Uh, you can argue that he's actually in the negative based on how much yeah. tax dollars he's sucked up. But uh, yeah, it doesn't even, yeah, I mean, it's just a weird thing where someone like him who hasn't really done a lot uh, is getting so hyped. And if you compare him and contrast him to like someone like John D. Rockefeller, like it's not even like it's this guy was what, what he ended up doing and what's how it's transformed all of society throughout the world is just unbelievable. And I'm sure if it wasn't him, it would have been someone else like somebody else. Yeah, but he, he truly was obviously an amazing businessman. Yeah, he, he managed to put um, process and system behind something and actually transform it into like, so, so the way I see it is that the, it reminds me of the transformation that's happening in Bitcoin, right? So, so there was a time before oil, and then there was a time after oil. And there was, you know, there was a few key people like, you know, Rockefeller, etc, who basically created a means via which energy transmission, uh, you know, could occur across a large um, region and that literally transformed America you know when people like I always get angry when people talk about I oh, yeah, America was built on slavery it's like no 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 America was built on fucking oil like that discovery and the fact that John D actually leveraged uh, the extraction of high um, high density energy and managed to figure out a means via which that could be transmitted and transported around the entire fucking country that's what actually made America the richest fucking nation on the planet. And he did it better than fucking everybody else. And I think what's interesting is we're entering a new era like that, which is going to be another zero to one moment for society. But this is, you know, Bitcoin, mind you, I believe is much larger than energy because Bitcoin encompasses time and energy. So, so like it's literally the substrate um, that sits beneath all of it. But that yeah. kind of shift is occurring now, um, which is, you know, I, I just can't help but wonder, like, you know, the, the greatest wealth known to man today was literally um, came from the unlocking of the resource that was oil. Um, and now we're unlocking, you know, the, the resource that is money. And there will be that same type of uh, wealth creation and fundamental transformation to society Um with with bitcoin so so that was just an interesting parallel that i um that i, I think you're i think you're right point. i think you're right and i think i think bitcoin is uh completely transformative i think it'll play out a bit different like i don't think we're gonna see uh monopolists like a john d rockefeller i mean the closest we've had in bitcoin i guess you could say so far is like i don't know like 
Jihan Wu. Like, I don't know, like some guys like that who really monopolize like certain parts of the industry. But look at them now. Like they, they've fallen from grace. Their companies are split up. See, Bitcoin is fundamentally different. Where, whereas in the oil, call it the oil revolution, which uh, arguably lasted for quite a long time. Um, it didn't just sort of spark with only uh, Rockefeller, but um, it, they, there are certain things in place that allowed him to monopolize, such as the patent system. Uh, things that, like they were doing so much innovation in the petrochemical space and like finding ways to use the waste product of crude oil, right? They'd refine mm -hmm, kerosene mm -hmm. and they, then they figured out diesel and gasoline. I don't know exactly the timelines, but then all the scrap stuff, the stuff that, you know, was just waste at some point, they found other ways to use it and they kept, you know, patenting and monopolizing more and more technologies. And that, so that, that has a, obviously a monopolizing effect that, that legal leverage. And, uh, I'm sure that was largely uh, leveraged to their advantage uh, to keep them in power. Because normally in a business, if you have no legal means to dominate a market, uh, even if you start growing really big and you're super successful because you got a great product, great staff, what ends up happening is staff will leave. They'll ditch you because they're like, oh, well. Mm -hmm. I know the business. Why am now. I making him all the money? Yeah. 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 And then they'll, they'll go do it themselves and they'll split off. And that's a healthy, I look at that as like a healthy thing, right? Like uh, it's just, that's how competition. So I always thought Bitcoin is going to, whereas like in this world of fiat, which has been long lasting, you have consolidation, right? Everything companies eat mm -hmm. each other up and it's consolidation and becomes very top heavy. But I think, I think this Bitcoin already is already, it's probably too early to really sense it, but I think we saw it with Bitmain. It created like internal struggles that ruptured the company and it, it split. And I think you're going to see that in everything, like every institution, you're going to see that because people are going to be, there's going to be more opportunities available for people and Bitcoin is going to give people more opportunity and they're going to start, it's going to, everything's going to start splintering, I think the unconsolidation of the of the consolidator market really it will i i still so. think there's going to be that you know for me the 80 20 rule applies like Fredo's distribution applies to everything is that you know concentrations will happen but what what the difference that bitcoin enables is dynamic um inequality so so you'll get 80-20, but that 80-20 will be dynamic in nature, not static in nature. So, so the problem, like you just kind of mentioned, is that in today's day and age, because uh, some people are close to the monetary spigot or, you know, no, you know, ex-regulators or whatever, like the fact that the monopoly of a government exists, the closer you get to it, the more you can create this sort of static inequality, which is not 80-20, it's more like 99.9 .9 and 0 0.1 um, yeah. and it's fraudulent in nature, but Bitcoin kind of breaks that because it doesn't give you an ability to get close to the monetary spigot. It doesn't give you an ability to get an unfair advantage, which where you can privatize your gains and socialize your losses, right? That, that's effectively what is occurring today is like, if you're close enough to that, you can do whatever the fuck you want. You can make any mistake you want and then you get bailed out, <laughs> which is fucked up. So the rest of us pay for, you know, that mistake. Whereas in Bitcoin, you can't do that. No one's there to bail your ass up. So you actually have the risk of falling when making bad decisions. And you, you know, if you're an upstart and a competitor, you can rise. But I still think like that there will be this broad 80-20 split, but it'll be dynamic. And that's what's fucking beautiful about natural 
capital system. And maybe what changes is the 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 cycle time, like um, maybe shortens because Bitcoin, that the specter of economic reality that Bitcoin brings to the world um, makes it such that correction must happen quickly because you can't lie to yourself by printing money. So you can't economically fucking do a fraud. Yeah, I pretty much agree with all that. Yeah, like uh, I, I don't, I don't, I think it's gonna be a lot, a lot more difficult for people to come in and mono say monopolize aspects of the Bitcoin uh, denominated industry, which is you know a big you know, Bitcoin denominated world, and really you know Bitcoin, uh, it's obviously a tough topic for people, but it demonetizes, it defunds uh, government. Uh, mm. It it. It doesn't, well, it makes it, sorry, I should say maybe not defunds them, but it, it makes it harder for government to fund itself because um, it can no longer, a government that has to operate on a Bitcoin standard only has taxation uh, to fund itself direct over taxation. It, it no longer has signage or in money printing. And when you have that, it's also not that easy to tax and surveil Bitcoiners compared to say uh, dollar holders. So um, it makes it, uh, it, it will make, cause the government effectively like being the, the highest regulator, like the highest order of mafia in society, uh, they're, they're what keeps these monopolies and these, uh, call it like the 99, what you said, 0.1% yeah. discrepancies alive. Um, yeah, whether it's whether it's uh, the sweetheart deals they give and the contracts or the patent system, and I mean endless endless protection rackets that they employ, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah, it's literally the, the every, everything they say they do, the the result is the fucking opposite, and and it's not it doesn't have to be a conspiracy. It's like even the ones who think they're doing the right thing are literally, uh, you know, adding to. The wrong fucking outcome through their stupidity or myopia like or through their naivete like oh yeah. yeah you know but we but if we put this regulation in then maybe we can help the little guy and some of them are actually genuinely trying to help but they're like useless idiots that uh i mean i don't know why people call them useful idiots because they're not useful they're actually useless um maybe <laughs> use useless naive idiots with good intent <laughs> that they they you know make it worse like it's the best thing for government to do is get the fuck out of the way. And that's why, yeah, like you said, Bitcoin is actually incompatible. Me and Pomp kind of had a disagreement about this when I was on his part. I was like, dude, Bitcoin is fundamentally incompatible with government. Like, yeah, you know, it is. Or, or at least with large government. Like you said, it just, it just doesn't make sense. A large scale government is a bankrupt institution. You can't be bankrupt on Bitcoin. Well, it just, it just it just makes government accountable. That's all it does. It makes government it. accountable. So I, I don't think it's, I wouldn't say incompatible with government. And I think we agree on this is that it just shrinks government and it shrinks the value of, uh, or certainly shrinks the services, the services that the, say a federal government can even hope to render to society. And by necessity, that might eliminate a federal government and it might just become local tribal governments back like it mm -hmm, used to be, mm -hmm, like it used to be. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. that, that's really what, the way I look at it. I don't even see it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not like, uh, I personally see like use for government. I just think the current state of things is just absurd. And I think Bitcoin certainly will hold them accountable and it'll force them to, I think even by the time, you know, like, 20, 30 years from now, we're going to see massive changes like in the world with uh, with what Bitcoin is going to force upon 
all of society and, and how, how they can uh, operate and fund themselves. And, you know, more and more people will take the orange pill and uh, protect their capital from tax. Yeah. And, well, and, and I mean, it, it'll, the, the, equation transforms from you know coming to bitcoin due to curiosity it'll come it'll be going to bitcoin due to pain like there's you know i did a i did an article a couple years ago which was called um uh it was called actually bitcoin lockdowns i think and it was about like a model for understanding bitcoin's adoption curve and bitcoin's adoption curve was like there's uh curiosity and want on one side and like necessity and pain on the other side and like Mm -hmm. the the s curve Basically, we reach maximum adoption when the the pain threshold is hit for everybody, and and that just comes differently. So the only question really for humans is, um, do you want to get Bitcoin because you're intellectually curious enough, like because you want to, or do you want to be one of the last idiots who gets it because you fucking have no other choice? Like other choices, like outright slavery or fucking starvation. Take your pick, like. Everyone's yeah. either a Bitcoin or a pre-Bitcoiner. That's it. Yeah, yeah, I generally agree with that. I think uh, inevitably, uh, whether people are using layered services, they have no choice. They're going to use it. Yeah. Um. All right, dude. That was a that was a tangent. So I want to bring it back to um, upstream. I actually want to bring it back to like some mining stuff. So before I ask about how um you know, average people can potentially mine. Like, can you, can you talk through, cause even I'm not a hundred percent clear on what upstream itself does specifically. So can you talk me through that? And then can you talk me through how um, other competitors are coming up in the industry and what they're doing that's uh, similar or different. Um, so we kind of get a lay of the land and what's happening in that space. Yeah. Upstream uh, we're all about um, providing product and services behind oil field, Bitcoin mining. So uh, really the, the, the solution that we, you know, when you hear about off grid, like oil field mining, what we're all really, well, generally all going after is uh, like waste gas, like gas is just energy that's just burning or dissipating away and no one's using it. So that's obviously cheap. Um, so that's like flare gas, vent gas. And then, and on, there are some other niche uh, areas of waste gas. Uh, and then there's like stranded gas. So gas that's just sitting around waiting for someone to produce it. Like, uh, for example, all these wells, like there's thousands of wells, say in Canada that are sitting there, uh, doing nothing and there's no pipeline there anymore. It's gone or it was never completed and that's stranded. So it's just turn the tap on and there you have energy pouring out. Right. So it's, it's, Mm -hmm. again, it's cheap. So that's, that's what all the Bitcoin miners in the oil space and that's what i focus on uh, are going after uh my business i position my business to be um well really just a service to oil companies so it's not i i can contrast it against maybe some of our competitors but in the end we're all doing the same thing in the end we're taking natural gas raw energy in the form of natural gas combusting it in an engine or turbine uh, so a power plant generating electricity and then distributing that electricity through like a Bitcoin mine or container or pod, mm-hmm. or uh, I just call ours like hash huts, like uh, these uh, buildings. And then they feed a Bitcoin machine, connect to the internet and then you're mining Bitcoin. So that's mm-hmm. that process from fuel gas to Bitcoin is the exact same for everybody. 
there mm -hmm. might be minor variations on it and the products might vary, but that's what everybody's doing. So I, my business is all about selling this equipment to people that need it, uh, which is usually the oil companies, but sometimes also third parties who contract us to build them what they need for their deals with the oil companies. So we, we sort of have uh, a couple different uh, ways that we sell. Um, but we, unlike say other guys in the space, we're not focused on self-mining. Uh, I don't focus on self-mining. So meaning like I fund everything. I fund the gen set, the building, the computers, put it on a well. I know guys that are even buying wells, like they're doing fully integrated stuff. It's something that I've been dabbling in ourselves. Um, but for right now, we're more focused on just building this company as a service business, but guys are doing full stack. Like I know a guy as uh, a good guy. Um, I won't name him cause I don't know if he wants me to talk about this, but he's on Twitter and he talks about it a little bit, but, uh, he's planning on drilling a gas well on his property and mining coins right there as a self-sovereign citadel, which is something I've been advocating online for many years about doing that kind of thing. And we're sort of doing that in a way. It's just not on our own land. Um, so uh, we're a service and then the other guys in the industry, uh, there's other, like the opposite end of what we do is like guys that come in and finance it all and they self mine. So they're either mining on their own fuel gas, like they own the wells or they're just buying the gas off somebody, but they're self mining. So they're mining all the coins themselves. Uh, mm -hmm. That's a very finance heavy model. You need a lot of financial backing. Whereas my model is more about service. So we sell it to people, they buy our product. So we yep. grow off sales, other guys grow off financing. And then you, and now it's becoming very interesting in the space where um, I was listening to Lynn Alden uh, talk about it today. She made some really good points about this, but it's becoming more and more common now for Bitcoin miners to use their Bitcoin as collateral to get, to take yeah. out fiat loans, right? And then they keep refinancing their operations. So there, there are more and more Bitcoin miners, and that's what we're sort of starting to do. So Bitcoin miners are becoming even more uh, hot, hodling more than they might have in the past, right? So it's interesting. It's really interesting what's happening. Um, and the space in the oil and gas industry, especially in North America, is really exciting. And I haven't really heard much about it elsewhere. Like I've had actually, you say you're, you're from Australia, right? So I've had some inquiries from Australia. Australia is really big into coal bed methane and you have mm -hmm. a lot of natural gas. Uh, the only thing working against Australia is the, the heat, but that can be managed. So I, I expect to see more of it, to hear more about it in Australia and in other, in other countries. But right now, it seems like North America is where it's really booming, like Canada, U.S. Yeah, I um, I think that point that you mentioned, you know, that Lynn Alden was um discussing. So I, I haven't heard her discuss it yet, but I, I I'm in Austin at the moment, and we've sort of me and some of the guys from Trammell Ventures have been sort of talking about how, you know, Bitcoin will have such an impact on, on the credit markets. And, and that's just a live example of like, use the Bitcoin as collateral to generate infrastructure to generate more Bitcoin. Like it's, fuck, it's such an incredible you know, virtuous cycle. Up, I think it's like, you know, that, you know, it was a peer who wrote speculative attack article mm -hmm. and it's mm -hmm. it, that whole meme. Like this is a, uh, Cause I was just pondering it with the first, I was never really thinking about that as a, as a tool in my business until like probably about eight or nine months ago. And I, maybe it wasn't even really a tool before then. Cause it's becoming more of a thing, like more 
companies are offering this as collateral, right? Like, cause I could never go to my bank before, like before say, and say, Hey, do you want this Bitcoin as collateral and just give me a loan <laughs> to expand my business? It would never work. Right. But it seems like more and more companies are doing it. Um, I don't know what point I was about to make, but, oh, fuck. I lost my train of thought, but, uh, so something about you weren't thinking about using it in your business before. Well, um, oh yeah, speculative attack. So, okay, I guess in theory, just maybe I'm wrong on this, but because right now there are companies like I'm talking to one of them, I won't name them. I can give them say ten bitcoins or a bitcoin, and they'll give me seventy percent of that value in fiat, so seventy percent loan to value ratio. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I could then, in theory, go take that. You know, let's assume Bitcoin's on an upward path because if, if it's not an upward path, this plan doesn't work, but it generally mm-hmm. is on an upward path, right? You can really just give a, give a trusted custodian, which of course is a different topic, but you give them their Bitcoin as collateral. They'll give you fiat. You buy more Bitcoin and just keep <laughs> keep compounding that. And it, as long as your Bitcoin collateral goes up in value, uh, you can, it's, it, you're just like this. It, you're going to destroy the financial system like at some point it's just it's just snowballing and everyone mm-hmm. will keep doing that and then there'll be a huge correction and everybody like half the people get liquidated and get wrecked but if you time it properly like it seems like a ridiculous speculative attack because as we know bitcoin generally goes up in value so if the loan interest rate is like 70 percent and on average bitcoin averages better than that you're you're, you're up forever you're literally yeah. printing money like you're literally yeah. printing money and at no yep. risk yep. so it's yep. i i, I, I mean, think that's kind of re- i honestly when i started thinking about this i i feel like they are going to make that illegal like in in a very short order as this starts to grow i don't know if they can because online people are arguing me like oh you can't make it illegal it's just property and you can use properties collateral and stuff but on it like the yeah I, th- I think they've i don't know man they'll try but i think they actually caught themselves in a fucking bind because like so so this is the catch 22 that they caught themselves in they went ahead and classified it as property so that they could tax it as property because that's where they can you know get the best yield out of it um in terms from a taxation perspective so they in the like this is the classic incompetence of bureaucrats is they you know they didn't expect the market to innovate in the way we have started to innovate which is to use it as collateral like, okay property sure no worries tax it motherfucker um i ain't gonna sell it so so i, I feel like the way they're gonna try and do it is um through unrealized capital gains but i mean if that ever goes through i think that's gonna like um like they're gonna have to literally carve out unrealized capital gains tax for bitcoin because if they try yeah. to do unrealized capital gains tax for property in general I don't see how that can fly. Like th- that'll you'd, like you'd hope people would revolt against that, but uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, right. The last twelve months has proven otherwise. Yeah, true. No, I, I think it's such a such a. I mean, all Bitcoin has to do is keep on a reasonable trajectory, like it has been showing itself to do, and this is going to become I mean, incredibly yeah. popular. On on a long enough time frame, the you know the numbers are. You know, incredibly on our side like on a short time frame there's going to be clean outs like you said but um yeah i um so just to tie off the upstream piece then um you, you guys effectively you know build your, your product is effectively like a 
a mining mini mining operation that oil and gas producers or whoever wants to can just basically plug and play and yep. transform stranded resources into bitcoin right yeah absolutely yeah perfect okay um so so then quick question so you know most average plebs who might be listening to this podcast you know can't do that themselves um what's what's your thoughts on you know people mining at home like did you have any experience or any ideas or any thoughts on you know small scale um mining and participation of like the retail market into doing that well i've been saying for years uh probably since like 2017 18 that i believe the future is going to be do- like maybe not dominated but it's going to be mining at home is going to become a really big deal uh, I think there's a lot of trends. I think there's a lot of trends that are pointing in that direction. Right now, mining at home is better than it probably ever has been. Uh, see, part of the part of the problem in the Bitcoin space is like people think like, you know, back in the days of like really early Bitcoin, like 2010, 2011, and like Satoshi, right? Like mining at home, mm-hmm. look how rich he was. Mining at home is dead now. It's like no, that mining at home, even for Satoshi, was unprofitable. Like. He was running yeah. a fucking computer earning zero value. Yeah, he's earning 50 Bitcoin a block or whatnot, but that had zero value. He couldn't trade it with anybody. So like mining for the first like several years was completely unprofitable at home. Uh, you could always buy Bitcoin way cheaper than you could, you could. You could spend way less money with just buying it than you could on electricity and time and effort at home. But it's actually like right now, it's it's almost like the best it's ever been because uh, well, one, hardware is holding its value for the first time ever. Uh, if you bought an S, uh, an Antminer S1 or like S7 uh, was a pretty popular model, that thing depreciated so hard. And then just like the, uh, you know, just trying to mine at home was never that good because your hardware goes to shit in no time. You have to mm-hmm. upgrade. But now, like even S9s are still holding their own. Um, you could still mine at home in a lot of places with S9s. The new gen, like if you think like five, 10 years away, the the newest like chips are going to be almost indistinguishable from the previous gen. And everyone's going to be on the same mm-hmm. basis, like playing basis for chip efficiency. And so these this hardware will now hold its value over a very long period of time. And so then mining at home becomes even more attractive. Um, and then you got all the other regulatory stuff happening with that they're, they're clamping down and it's going to get a lot worse, especially in mining, I think. So mining at home is like the place where you can most easily mine under the radar, like non-KYC coins. No one knows you have them. Uh, no one knows, you know, like they can't tag your name to them. So you you can completely avoid all the crazy regulations they're going to bring in place. Like, you know, like unrealized gains taxes, like, and stuff like that, which are very, people think are like fantastic ideas, like fantastical as in like not possible, not possible, but like they're very much possible and they're very much likely like is what, yeah. cause they're going to, they're going to put Bitcoin specific rules in place, I think, because they're, it's just going to flatten them if they don't. So I think they will. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what, what would you recommend someone go out today, for example, that might want to do some at-home mining to go and get like an S9 or, or should they just go straight um, to like the S19 because that's kind of already reaching the, the peak of what? Um, yeah, that's a good question. It's not an easy, if you have a, like it, 
one, if you live in like California and you got a crazy high uh, power price, you probably don't, you shouldn't do anything. Like just go buy mm -hmm. some coins, mm -hmm. buy coins. Yep. Like, yep. But then again, uh, it's not for me to say because you, Alex, like you might really, really value non-KYC coins. You might mm -hmm. be like, I just want no one to know I have coin. And you would much rather get less coin for your dollar uh, being non-KYC than, you know, buying it through an exchange and having to put, submit your ID and to the IRS and everything, uh, which is sort of how it works. If you're trying to buy through an exchange, like the tax man knows yeah. how much you have. So, you know, it's not that I'm advocating, like, don't pay your taxes and stuff. Like I sort of am, but I'm not because uh, I do, but what you do, like, I can every single individual has their own they'll value that their own so if you're an individual mm -hmm. that says thinks you know mining at home is a it's fun and it's I want non-KYC coins it, then it's not really about like okay how much how do you maximize your coin stack um, if it's purely about maximizing your coin stack then you have to really look at the economic analysis like power costs like this that and the other thing and, um, and there's no clear answer. So for that reason, I, I just say, if you think you're, if you think you'd enjoy it, then yes, go for it. And then as for what computer you run, uh, maybe go with a uh, new gen that, because that you're going to be stacking more sats that way. And I don't think you're going to lose either way. Like Bitcoin's going to pump, you're going to make lots of money one way or the other in the long run. So, uh, mm -hmm. if you're going to do it, then maybe just go get a new rig and that'll really max out that circuit in your garage anyway, and heat it up. So uh you just got to consider all the factors a lot of guys like people people like you know if you're not doing any research you might not realize that you're going to heat the hell out of that room it's in and make a lot of noise so you might want to have a plan for that but i love it i i started mining at home and i did it because i needed to learn because i wanted to start mm -hmm. my business and i didn't know what it was like i was just trying to I was trying to, I was doing testing. I was like, oh, well, how much data does it use? Like how much data will I use out in the field? Like, right. So could I use a cell modem? Can I use this or that? Right. So I was doing it for all kinds of reasons, but I had a lot of fun doing it. And like, uh, it was early enough where I felt like a rebel. Like I, I yeah. felt sort of like a rebel doing it. I was like, look at me mining and I'm cool and stuff. And it was fun. I love talking to people about it when they came over and like, what's that noise in your garage and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So I honestly don't think too hard about it. If you think you're going to have fun, then just go do it. And if, uh, if it's purely economics and you're just stacking max sats and you don't care about KYC and all that stuff, well then take a more serious look at it and see if it's uh, viable. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so I guess, I mean, I, I am of the opinion that everyone should be um, doing at least a little bit. Um, even I'm not, if I'm not, you don't like, reckon? Uh, no, I, well, are you going to get into, are you, is it because you think um, it particularly makes it more resilient or like Bitcoin more resilient or? A little bit of that. I think it's also a little bit of everyone should, um, you know, if you really understand Bitcoin, you know, having a non-KYC stash makes sense. Um, number, number three, yeah, you'll learn a lot about Bitcoin. You'll learn a lot about the process. So I think everyone should at least have a single mining rig, even if it's a little bit older, you know, a $500,000 mining rig and you just sort of set up somewhere. Unless you're living in a fucking studio um, in the middle of Texas, or maybe Texas is not a good example, like in the middle of like somewhere 
that is hot and has high electricity costs where you're going to fuck fucking boil inside your house with your own miner, then maybe that's not a good idea. <laughs> but other than that, I think it's a, I think it kind of makes sense. I do. I, I, the points you made, like where it's education, where it's like uh, learning about Bitcoin, getting non-KYC, I, I agree with that. If, if it's about like making the network more secure and stuff, um, I'm sort of like yes and no. Like I, I sort of, that's a whole different topic, like the Bitcoin network security. But I think it's more about if you want to be make the Bitcoin network secure, you need to do whatever makes you the most profit which is mm, if it's mining mm. then it's mining if it's doing something else to stack sats then do that other thing to stack sats but whatever ends up making you the most sats is going to be what's best for the bitcoin network is sort of my general opinion and that doesn't necessarily mean mining yeah okay that's um that's a really good frame for people to think about so coming back to then like an s9 versus an s19 is s19 the newest rig or uh yeah that's right? like or... the newest bitmain rig yeah and, yeah, okay. and, and uh, like, I'll give you a, just an example on that idea is, is like, I'm thinking of a friend of mine here in Calgary. He, he makes really nice art and he actually mines a bit at, at, in his place. But I look at him like, well, if you make more money and more stack more sats and become more self-sovereign by continuing to sell your art, uh, that in my mind is the best for the Bitcoin network. And for me as a different participant on the network and, mm -hmm. you know, sinking your dollars and your wealth and effectively your resources, like your survival your, your means to survive into a mine that isn't really paying out, you know, you're not really, you're not really helping yourself and you're not helping Bitcoin. That's the way I look at it. So mm -hmm. anything you can do to help yourself, self-interest and max profits, I think is best for Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, noted, noted, noted. So last quick question. Hold on. Uh, actually, that was the last question that I had on this part was um, what's your thoughts on things like, compass mining and you know products like that do you think they're worth people pursuing or do you think the fact that you don't really get the experience of like learning shit like you're, you're missing elements of no uh, no compass offers a i have i don't use compass personally i just have my own industrial business but so if i needed to self-mine i throw it in my own rig but um no i think compass is doing a lot of good mm -hmm. they're, they're they're facilitating people to become miners and actually i don't know exactly how it works with compass but in some cases these guys and it probably could be the case with compass they'll even give you remote access to your unit so i mean it's like are they taking away the learning not really i mean they can their customers can still be uh, i think somewhat involved um and let's face it i mean we're all mining on mining pools like we're not connected mm -hmm. to our own nodes like uh mining solo and if and anyone who truly wants to learn uh, can actually just go do that. You can do that with download Bitcoin uh, uh, CG Miner and Bitcoin Core, and uh, you can honestly, I don't even know how to figure that out myself. I'm not a software guy, but you can do <laughs> it, right? You can do it. Yeah. I actually started mining with before I bought my first S9 in my garage. I bought a little USB stick and stuck it in my computer and ran I think CG Miner, and that's how mm -hmm. I was mining. I was mining to like slush pool or something. Mm -hmm. um, that's how I learned though. And you can do that with, you don't even need a little stick miner. You can just run your, your CPU and actually learn. But no, I really do like what Compass is doing. And uh, I think they're doing a lot of good stuff. And, and actually they're helping um, people that want to try to, like people that are into hosting um, yeah. find customers. So yeah, I, I like to see what they're doing. And I think they're going to do really well, uh, especially as home mining because they're more retail focused, like getting the, the pleb to get their ASIC. And 
I think that's really big value add. And in the long term, they're going to create so many Bitcoiners. Uh, I love to see it. Like, I think it's great. Cool. Um, I'm taking a couple notes down here, man. All right, brother. Well, look, um, is there anything else that you want to run through with respect to, you know, this topic or anything else that you wanted to, that you wanted to hit on? Cause that was basically, you know, the key areas that I wanted to nail people. Uh, I usually say no, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I was just re like, I think the, the only thing that I was, I was just, oops, my thing's almost dead. Um, I was just like tweeting about it actually, like the, all this regulation stuff with uh, that's getting passed in the U S um, I'm not, a, I don't know exactly what's going on, but like the crypto regulation, like the broker, like naming um, basically anyone that facilitates Bitcoin transactions as a broker and all these onerous rules. Mm. I just find it funny how uh, uh, like pe people are so scared of this, like as if it's unexpected and as, it, mm. as, as if mm. it's like, uh, as if it's like a threat to Bitcoin. It's like, it's not a threat to Bitcoin. Like all this regulation stuff. And I've had this argument with people like very recently, I won't, I won't name specifically who, but like, um, they were arguing with me on a different uh, forum about about like, well, if they keep banning, if they if they put this in place and if they ban Bitcoin, you know, it's all going to go to shit and lose value and it'll be in a death spiral. And he he's, he owns a business that is heavily Bitcoin focused, right? And I'm thinking to myself, and I said to him, like, if you believe that what you what you're saying that the government has the power to destroy Bitcoin through a few arbitrary bans and pen signing like ceremonies. You, why are you invested everything into Bitcoin? Like, how do you, how do you, how do you do that? How do you invest everything in it into something that you believe is so fragile? The reason I have like invested, uh, well, all my time, especially since 2016 and effort and passion into Bitcoin is because I'm trying to find out what can destroy Bitcoin and how can yep. it ha happen? And I can, can, so far I've not been able to figure it out. And I've, I've gone down every rabbit hole I could with everyone, like conversations like we're having now and on, on Reddit and over the years on every forum. And I cannot find anyone explain to me, uh, convince me, say, uh, and I might be too stupid to understand the, their arguments, but no one's been able to convince me why Bitcoin's going to could fail or how it fails. So that's just that's what I'm looking for. If I could if I could learn that, if I could figure out, well, there's a scenario where it fails, well, I might change my investing habits. So I find this regulation stuff. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no I was just going to say, I 100% agree with you. I think, I mean, th there's, there's a couple of elements in it for me. It's like, number one, um, it, you know, regulation is not a threat to Bitcoin. You know, regulation is just the threat to the people that are um, being following the rules uh, you know <laughs> a following the rules but also the people that get uh pushed out of the market uh thanks to regulation so all it is is like by america regulating bitcoin it's not hurting anyone but the potential uh american consumer who might get less services it the, bitcoin yeah. doesn't give a fucking rat's ass about any no. of this shit so 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 that's like you know for me it's like um, dumbass American politicians, you know, like China literally just scored an own goal. I did a tweet about this. China scored an own goal, um, you know, a couple of months ago, like by, you know, banning for the hundredth time. Um, and 
And then I said, uh, and not to be outdone in the moron Olympics, you know, uh, US bureaucrats go and, you know, try and score an own goal of their own. You know, yeah, it doesn't matter good. to Bitcoin. It's like they literally just trying to fuck their own people over. That's a pretty that's good analogy, actually. <laughs> yeah, they're fucking <laughs> over their own fans, right? Like, um, yeah, so I just, it's funny, like the, all these people like scared and like, you know, worried about this regulation and stuff. It's like, uh, I just see that as enforcing Bitcoin's need to exist and it's going to allow people to circumvent these rules and it's going to pump even harder because of it. That's like my th- hypothesis. I mean, if the central 100%. bank, if the central bank could create a money that was capped, okay, and that was fairly distributed and like not diluted and uh, no, not easily taxed, well, Bitcoin wouldn't have much of a fucking purpose uh, if they could actually give the same value to their money as well. They could easily come regulate and destroy me out of business. Like that's not a question. It's just like, oh, there's upstream data. We don't like what he's doing. Here's the law. You're out of business. And then I go out of business. But like that doesn't affect Bitcoin. Like other people will find ways to circumvent it. If they, for example, if they put regulation down on oil and gas mining and say, well, it's 100% tax, you're not allowed to do it. Well, people will just do it under the radar and Bitcoin will be still extremely valuable um, because it's valuable because of its use case, which is sensor resistance. So. Yeah, because of its resilience, because of the fact that none of it may, dude, you're, you're 100% right. I, I've been laughing at this whole thing, like, you know, all these fucking coin desk losers and everyone freaking the fuck out. It's like, man, I, I mean, I can understand, like, you know, th- there is some sense in actually, as an American or as a, as a business owner in America, um, wanting to say, hey, you're going to fuck up my business by, you know, changing the regulation, but it's not like th- there's a nuanced argument there. It's like, it doesn't do anything to Bitcoin, um, but it might make um, some products and services that wanted to sell to American consumers and do business in America more difficult. So, so the ultimate um, person getting, you know, kicked in the balls is actually the American consumer who may have wanted to move on to a Bitcoin standard. But at the end of the day, like that is literally a fucking self own. It is an own goal. Um, yeah. that doesn't make Bitcoin any weaker, um, that just like, well, think about it up here, for the constituents. When, when they do this, they actually just make it more profitable for the people that don't obey. Right. So that's China, it. That's it. Yeah. China banned effectively just about hundred percent of mining in China. And now it's all idle and waiting to go elsewhere or whatnot, or anything that's surveilled is, and anything that's secret is still going. So the people that are still going in China in secret are still they're actually just like us in North America who are say unaffected by China ban are making more money. So yeah, making a killing the regulation yeah. just makes everyone who is outside of that rule more money. And that's exactly yep. what, that's why I don't like, I fully expect to be there to be crazy rules coming about Bitcoin um, because it is such an attack on the, the state of the world and the state of fiat. So mm-hmm. uh, I don't, I, it's just amusing that people are supposed seem to be so surprised by it. It's like, it's, like this is like just the beginning, <laughs> yeah. In my, the, in my the, view, yeah, it really is, and and this is what you know. So so I think the nuance of this argument is when people say, "Oh, this is going to destroy Bitcoin." It's like, no, you're a dumb cunt. It's not going to do anything to Bitcoin. You know, like it's only going to affect, um, 
you know, some people's capacity to uh, run a specific type of business about Bitcoin. But yeah. it's like, we don't need to lobby to save Bitcoin. Like, so, so in many ways, you know, this, this might turn out to, you know, like you said, just, I mean, I hope that the silver lining here is that, um, that a lot of these shit coiners and, you know, shit coin casinos and everything really have a fucking hard time out of this one. Cause that'd be fucking hilarious. Um, yeah. I'd like to see some people like that get wrecked. Yeah. People that have bullshitted their way to the top, but that's it. That's it. They can have their, you know, their, their, let's see how strong their decentralization is when, um, you know, when some fucking, like you said, uh, well, signing ceremonies, you know, wipe them out completely. Like, and then, then you'll realize why, you know, Bitcoin itself is really important because no signing ceremony is ever going to fucking turn it off. No, exactly. I mean, uh, I fully subscribe to the idea that everything is good for Bitcoin. There's literally nothing. Yeah. There's nothing you can do. I can't think of anything that you can do that's truly bad for the it as a soft as a network and a protocol. So it's like, yeah. like yeah, you can do things that are bad for me and you, but not for not for the whole system. That's it. So that's it. That's it. Well, dude, that's a good note to end it on. So, really briefly, then, um, how can people find you online? Uh, yeah, I'm usually uh, trolling on Twitter at SG Barber, B A R B O U R. That's great. My company's upstreamdata.ca. .ca. Okay, awesome, man. Um, all right, brother. Well, look, um, thank you for coming on. Um, you know, it's sort of like the first time we've had an opportunity to chat. Uh, we're in a couple of groups together, um, one in particular, which I really enjoy. So, um, Hopefully at some point, somewhere along the line, we'll catch up, you know, maybe Bitcoin 2022. Uh, and yeah, dude, really appreciate the insight and the conversation. Yeah, this is fun. Yeah, anytime, man. Just hit me up. Legend. All right, brother. Yeah. See ya.